Are you ready to finally heal your body, mind, and spirit? Rejuvenate with Attuned to the Moon 24-7 Holistic Coaching, an online therapy program designed for you to self-heal and for you to self-love. Book your online coaching session with Attuned to the Moon Holistic Coaching at ATTM247.com. That's ATTM247.com. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Addicts in the dark. Uh, what the fuck is going on here? Oh, yeah. hello. Hi, hi. Sorry. Hi. It's been a while. Buttons and stuff. Uh, nice to finally talk is, to you. Is eighteen episodes uh, enough to say long time listener, first time caller? <laughs> um, I've been the work I do, or you know, the work I'm doing right now. I can listen to podcasts all day if I want. So I am a huge listener. Sweet, thank you. So you know the deal. Yeah. Max of an hour, no names, no locations. Yeah. Good to go. Yes. All right. Tell me about your addiction. Okay, so we're recording and everything. Oh yeah, we're good. I uh, it's been been a while, but I remember how to do all this. Okay. So um, uh, I I am a big oversharer, so I am like always super open about, um, everything that I've been through. And, um, so I guess, yeah, I'll just start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in a family of addicts pretty much. Um, so, um, my mom is, was meth addict, pill addict, alcoholic. My dad is very high functioning alcoholic. Um, and, I lived with my mom until I was about nine. And during that time, I was exposed to um, a lot of things. And so she had a husband, my stepdad, who was very abusive and, um, you know, mentally, physically, all of that. And looking back on it now, I'm sure he was a narcissist. Um, And so that really, like, prefaced the kind of relationships I'd see myself in later um, that, you know, cause trauma. And then the more trauma, the more, you know, using. And so um, my, my addiction manifested in many ways. Um, drugs and alcohol were one of them. But, you know, another one would be um, an eating disorder, which is, is just as horrible. And, um, and it creates just as much amount of shame, if not more. So that kind of came about before the drugs and alcohol, the eating disorder, and that voice telling me, like, people would like you more if you were skinnier. And so I remember that being uh, a very young age. And and, um, I'm the youngest out of two brothers, but we we never really had that great of a relationship because it was just like an abusive household. You think we'd be closer, but we weren't. So when my mom... 
my mom and stepdad broke up and then we moved back to uh, Wyoming. Um, that's when she got really, really badly into drugs and, um, you know, had a boyfriend and, um, and then she ended up chasing him to Ohio and me and my brothers all got split up and I'm the only one that knew my dad. We all have different dads. And so I went to live with my dad. So I guess from the ages of like 12, 13, I guess is when I really started um, experimenting. And my mom was in and out of my life, you know, she was really badly in her addiction and I'd go visit her. And then when I went to visit her, I could do whatever I wanted. And um, I mean, my mom bought me cigarettes. She bought me weed and all this is kept secret from my dad and stepmom. And like the first time I ever smoked weed, it was with my mom. And I, I actually did not get high the first time I smoked weed. Um, but the second time, it was really crazy. Don't think I've ever <laughs> experienced a high like that from weed since. But weed always made me really like nervous and self-conscious. But because I wanted to be like the cool, I wanted to be cool, you know, um, I continued to smoke it all throughout being a teenager. What I really liked as a teenager was alcohol because I was very socially anxious and insecure and insecure definitely about my weight. Um, but when I drank, I, I was confident and didn't really care that much what people thought about me. And also at the age of, I think I was like 12, I had tried Percocet for the first time. My friend had uh, raided her mom's medicine cabinet and found some, and I'd heard about it because I know my brother my brother was addicted to pills and, and so was my mom when they both lived in Florida. I mean, cause Florida's like the hub of, you know, pain clinics and everything like that. So it wasn't that hard for them to get them. And I just remember like, it was just like such a warm, like feeling of being whole, you know, I'd always felt this emptiness inside of me and I just always hated myself. And the feeling from Percocet was just like this whole feeling. But Percocet was not that easy for me to find when I was a teenager. Um, alcohol was easier, especially because my mom would buy it for me. So, you know, I'd go to her house, get drunk. She'd buy alcohol for me and my friends. And then go back to my dad's like, you know, nothing happened. And my dad's drinking like was a problem at this point, but not like it was my mom's. So I didn't really think he was an alcoholic because the way I had seen addiction is like, you know, living from like couch surfing and, uh, you know, my mom would take me into Walmart and steal things. I remember the first time I ever saw her steal something, I was just like scared shitless. And then I started learning how to steal, you know, from, from pretty young age. So just did not have the greatest role model. And I had all these abandonment issues from my mom not taking care of me. And um, so I think all of these things were just like a, what are, how do you think? Circumstances compounded on top of one another. Yeah. Yeah. It like was not one thing, you know, I think I was destined to be an addict. I even kind of idolized it, how my mom's life was. And looking back, it was not pretty like the way my mom was living. Um, but I wanted to be accepted and I wanted her to love me. Um, so I was drinking really heavily from like 14 up. And even people then 
could see I, it was a problem. Like even my friends, you know, I mean, n- nobody else my age, uh, like 15 was uh, pissing their pants drunk, you know, like, um, but it really started to become a problem because, you know, I found someone to sell me Xanax. And so I was doing Xanax and drinking and I was blacking out and, and not remembering anything. And um, so at 15, I had uh, ran away to Denver with this 20 year old. I just like got drunk and blacked out. And next thing I know, we're driving to Denver, not really knowing how, you know, I got to this point. And, um, and uh, people were freaking out because they, you know, someone, the teenager had just gotten murdered by her boyfriend and like shoved in a storm drain not too long before that. And so uh, people were really scared, but I think my family knew I'd ran away. The problem was though, is that I ran away with an adult who took me across state lines. And looking back on that now, you know, I felt really, of course, I felt really guilty, but I didn't realize how creepy it was that this man had taken this teenager he had just met and gotten drunk with and and, um, ran away with. I mean, I I didn't even know this guy. I just met him that night and I did not want to be there with him. I didn't like him. And um, but when I was down there, that was the first time I ever tried Coke. And I really liked that, too. I mean. I wouldn't shut up. I'm sure I was, I annoyed everyone because I just wouldn't, I wouldn't stop talking. And, um, um, but anyways, we were only there for like three days when word got out, FBI was looking for me and, um, we ended up coming back and I was just like on lockdown after that. And I, I just remember like, I try and think about how I would react if I had a child and that happened. And I just, when I came home, the first thing, like my grandma and my mom said to me, it was just like, did you sleep with that boy? You know, like yelling at me. And, and I just like clammed up and I was like, I'm not going to say anything. And, um, and they wanted to do a rape kid and everything like that. And I didn't think it was rape because I, I consented, you know, um, I really didn't see it like that. And looking back, it's like, um, I was 15. Um, you know, I, I couldn't consent. And, um, so I, uh, didn't want him to get in trouble. I thought like it was just as much my fault, which I, it was my decision, but I I was blacked out drunk. So anyways, um, I got arrested shortly after that. Um, I, it was like the second day of high school and I blew up, you know, wasn't in school and my family thought I was running away again. So they, um, called the cops and my cousin told him where to find me and I was with another like 21 year old who bought me alcohol and and that was a problem you know like me thinking I was so mature and these guys liked me but they're adults and I was very promiscuous when I drank and you know I got a reputation real quick and I hated myself for it I felt just so much shame and um and that just caused me to get even more drunk and continue to sleep with people, you know, mainly adults who are creeps. So I got arrested that day. I had eight Xanax bars on me. And so I ended up going to juvie for four months. And then, you know, after assessing, um, you know, after doing an assessment of me and, you know, I was a self-harmer, I struggled with, um, 
bulimia um, and all of that, they decided I should go to treatment. So I, I went to a place called St. Joseph's uh, Treatment Children's Home, and I was there for six months. And so I'd never even been on probation. And here I am at 15 getting locked up for 10 months straight. And it was horrible, like, um, at the time. And so I got out and I drank the day I got out. I had no plans of being sober. I did not want to be sober. I thought about like, I can't drink for the rest of my life, you know, and I was 16 at this point. So, um, I, I got put on, you know, intense probation and finally got caught drinking. And, and, uh, around that time, I also had one of my best friends, uh, kill himself. And I knew I couldn't drink because, you know, they tested for it, my urine. And, and so that's when I started doing cough syrup. Uh, you know, people verbal trip or whatever. But what I did was uh, Delsum cough syrup, which produced like, you know, hallucinatory effects kind of. This is like a psychedelic trip. And um, all I had to do was go into Walgreens and shove a bottle down my pants and walk out. And so I started doing that every single day. And that really messed me up. I mean, I never slept. I never ate. I lost like 30 pounds. People thought I was on meth. And um, I was talking to people that weren't there. I, it made me really stupid. Like I couldn't even figure out how to use a hole punch, stuff like that. But yet they couldn't test for it. So no one could figure out what, what I was on. And, and I kept doing that even after I um, got off probation because I, I was pretty hooked on it at that point. And I ended up getting drunk after I got off probation at school. I was really drunk at school and I got expelled. And um, so they sent me to this other, and I was already going to like a alternative high school. So they sent me to this place called the Annex <laughs> Uh, that's an even smaller school for uh, kids that kicked out, get kicked out of um, like alternative schools. And, you know, when they called the cops on me one time because I was like, they could tell I was messed up. And then those cops tested me and gave me a field sobriety test. And uh, I didn't pass, but like no one could do anything. And I don't think people realize that about uh, dextromethorphan, which is what's in the cough syrup, is that it, it really messes you up. I mean, um, taking that with Benadryl, I, I hallucinated a lot. So one day I, I, par I was at a party and I was got really drunk. I dropped my phone and beer. So I was like, I'm going to take my friend's truck and, you know, go to Walmart to get a phone, even though I had no money, like didn't make any sense. And this guy was in the truck with me and I blacked out. I don't remember driving and I had crashed the truck into a tree at the park and totaled it. The ambulance came and took me to the hospital. And I don't remember a lot of that. And I ended up getting sent to um, uh, another, um, they call it the girl's school, which is like a treatment facility and you have to be court ordered there. And so I was in there for about eight and a half months. Treatment as a teenager, I mean, you don't do no 30 days. You're in there for a while. Um, and because I have all these other underlying issues, you know, um, they, you know, wanted to lock me up. So 
you know, when I, and whenever I was in those treatment facilities, that's when my eating disorder really became a problem because I'm like, okay, well, I don't have uh, any of this and I'm going to gain weight in treatment, which was a huge fear of mine. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to act out on this. And, and I did. And so I got caught doing it in there and, you know, they tried to manage it, but um, I, I found ways around it. So I just had never wanted to be sober, you know, like that, none of that ever helped me. I mean, it helped me graduate high school. I'm grateful for that. I was awarded the court when I turned 18. So now I get insurance and I got, you know, uh, financial aid for college, which is great, but never did it make me want to get sober. And, and I wasn't ready to be honest. Um, and you know, I, I, I graduated early and I got out at 17, a couple months before my 18th birthday. And I got a drinking ticket a week after I got out, <laughs> you know, and pretty much they, what they said to me when I went to court was, we'll see you in big girl jail. There's nothing more we can do for you on the juvenile side. You know, they, they literally just let me go because they, there was nothing they could do to help me. And they were right, because right after I turned 18, I I got uh, picked up on a public intox and, and I had to spend the night in the drunk tank. Um, but I moved out, like, right as, as soon as I could. I had met this guy shortly before I got off probation, and um, we started drinking a lot together. And little did I know this relationship uh, would be the cause of a lot of trauma coming up. Um, and, uh, and alcohol is like my number one, if I could get pills, heck yeah, you know, but, um, he really didn't like that. I liked alcohol more than him or that, you know, alcohol is more important than he was. And, um, it, it would cause a lot of problems. And he was also very jealous anytime I was, you know, had a friend that was a guy or anything like that. And, uh, I can remember the, the first time he was really very abusive was when we were at this party and I had this friend who was it was strictly just a friend and we were talking a lot at the night and and I thought my boyfriend was fine with it he seemed totally fine we get back in the car and he just like turns like he's just evil all of a sudden and he starts calling me a slut and a whore and screaming at me and I just keep asking him what I did and he just keeps saying you know what I you know what you did and he ends up driving me out into the middle of nowhere and um, kicking me out of the car. He pulls me out of the car and he's grabbing me and screaming at me and throwing me down on the ground and uh, ends up driving away. Um, and it's in the middle of the night, like the sun is coming up and and uh, he ends up um, driving back and getting me in the car. And I just remember thinking like, I am so done with him. Like I can't do this, you know? And we'd only been together a couple months, if even that. And then when we get back to his house, he's crying. And so it feels so bad. And, and I start comforting him. I start comforting him because he's crying for feeling bad about being abusive to me. Cause I, you know, I'm sick too. And I'm, that's the that's the cycle that I know how to survive in. You know, I'm like, oh, this must be love if he's so upset. Um, <laughs> I had no idea what love was. 
Uh, but we end up getting a place and not, and not long after that alcohol again, you know, is playing a huge role in this and his anger. Um, and you know, he always threatened to break up with me over everything. You do Adderall again, you know, I'm breaking up with you. It's his way of controlling me. And, and so for a while, you know, I, I really wasn't, I really wasn't that bad into my addiction because he was kind of curbing that. Like he, I was kind of becoming addicted to him in that relationship. Um, and well, we get really drunk this one night and I wake up from a blackout and he's strangling me and, um, uh, sh- shoving my head into the ground and kicking me. And, and, uh, anyways, the cops, someone calls the cops and, and they come in through the window, which was weird, but we wouldn't open the door. And, and uh, I wasn't going to tell him anything, but they started saying that he said I came after him. And so I told him everything and they arrested him. And when they arrested him, uh, I, I started hanging out with a couple of friends. So I was in a really bad place. And these friends were heroin addicts, uh, the only heroin addicts I knew. And, um, I decided to do heroin for the first time. Uh, and, um, you know, I'd already really liked opiates and I just remember doing it and snorting it. You know, I'm like, I'll never shoot up. You know, my mom did that. I'll never do that. And in reality, uh, if you're going to do it, eventually snorting or smoking it won't do anything for you. Right. Yeah. Um, well, the thing about, heroin was like how much I wanted it after I didn't have any, like, and I honestly didn't do heroin again for a while after that. Um, I was like, Oh, I like pills better, you know? Um, and, uh, anyways, though, boyfriend gets out of jail and I, I go right back to him, even though there's a protective order and this dude tries to break up with me cause I did heroin. <laughs> After I'm taken him back for beating the shit out of me, you know, just like, what a piece of shit. But anyways, uh, the relationship really sucks from there. And I end up doctor shopping and getting myself Xanax because, you know, I just went through a traumatic experience. And uh, I think I, I really used it to my advantage, um, you know, and then I did the same thing with Adderall. Uh, and he just prescribed it to me. I don't want to give anyone any ideas. It was like. So that's when the amphetamine use started, you know, um, I'm like, I'll never do meth. I'll never do that. That's gross. People who do meth, my mom did meth. Um, and, but I'll do Adderall. And so after dealing with all this, and and those were just two of the abusive events, you know, um, but there were many more to come. Um, and at this point I'm about, uh, just turned 19. Um, And my love affair with pills, you know, Xanax, Adderall, opiates, uh, just really started to progress uh, during this time. Um, Or like anything else, I try, you know, I was doing psychedelics too and and all that. But it was mostly uh, pills. Pills were my favorite. Um, And I stayed in this relationship. Um, I would hide in his closet when his PO came to check cause he's not allowed to see me. Um, and the more traumatic things that happened, the more I wanted to get high and his whole family hated me. I mean, they blamed me, I think for him going to jail. So 
I don't know why, but it hurt really bad coming from him. But it like tore me up coming from his family, like, and them hating me. Um, and but at the time, I really didn't understand it. Like, I'm like, when the relationship started, and I saw him getting angry, and I remember the first time he held me down uh, and wouldn't let me leave. It kind of excited me. I'm like, oh, this guy really likes me, you know. Um, and I thought I was crazy. I'm like, why am I seeking out this? Why why am I seeking this out? You know, because in the end, it was hell. It was horrible. Um, and it was like I had a therapist later on who told me that, um, you know, that that's that's the cycle that we know how to survive in. And, um, and that was my first, of course, my dad was in my life. And, but I moved to Tennessee with my mom and stepdad as a child. And then that was the male figure in my life, you know? Um, and it was a very influential figure because of how, horrible he was but of how like charismatic also like I could really see why my mom loved him um but yeah I I had just never seen a healthy relationship up close um <clears throat> I knew what he was doing was abuse I just didn't know why it wasn't enough for me to leave him and like my dad was not abusive but his drinking really caused a lot of problems between him and my stepmom um, I did not know any kind of functional, any kind of healthy. So the relationship wasn't healthy. So I really never saw a healthy relationship. Um, and, um, but then as time went on, I, I, I thought what I thought was love, you know, um, I, but what I think now was just a trauma bond. Um, it's just crazy, you know, like, people it's not just that easy to leave because this was the only thing I thought love was and and I didn't understand it but like I I couldn't stop um um but I kind of ended up drifting apart from him when I really got into heavy drug use so I I had you know how I said like I hadn't done heroin for a while after that. Well, when I did get back into heroin, I was smoking it and I found a dealer in town, which at the time there was not a lot of heroin uh, in the place where I lived, except for this one person that I knew. And um, I was really pretty addicted to it for several months. And then I'm like, I got to stop this. You know, it's getting really bad. I'm tired of being really dope sick. And I quit for almost a year. And then I was trying to quit pills. Here I am. I'm, I'm about, I believe I'm 21 now. And, you know, this ex, he's still in and out of my life all the time. But um, I am trying to stop doing pills. And so um, one day I was dope or pill sick, you know, didn't have any opiates. And this guy kept hitting me up because he knew that I knew how to get heroin. And he would pay me if I got him some heroin. So I took him up on that. And while driving there, I was like, you know what? 
I don't want to have to make another stop to get pills. I'll just ask him for some of his heroin. And that was where it started. That is how that right there, that decision was the rest of my life. Um, up until I got clean because everything I said I wouldn't do after that time was out the window. Like, um, you know, I, I started out smoking it. Um, and I always told myself if I ever start shooting it up, I'll die. And boy, was I right. Um, so I, before I still was able to keep up appearances, like I'm just a party girl and all my old friends, like I, I didn't hang associate with like people who were on meth and shit like that. Like I, I was not, I, I thought I was better than that. Um, well to get heroin, you know, um, you've got to be around those people. So I met all different kinds of people. Um, and they were all shooting up. And, um, I remember this one time I was really dope sick and I was with this guy and he found, we were both really dope sick and he found some cottons. Um, when you shoot up, you use a cotton in the spoon. Um, well, after you're done, there's still some drugs in that cotton, especially if you've done a lot. So, which that could get anyone who didn't use, that could get them high, you know, especially if there's a lot in there. So he found these cottons. Well, I'm like, you're not about to get well without me, <laughs> you know? So that was my first time I shut up. I decided to shoot up because I didn't want to be sick anymore. And when you say sick, when you're talking about being dope sick, it's all the symptoms that come along with a common flu. Yeah usually looked at as minor uh, on their own, but you're experiencing all of those symptoms at once. Yes. At a high level of severity. Yeah. Like nose running, body hurts, yawning. And I never got, I never like vomited and stuff, but I mean, you get constipated when you're, when you're high. And then when you're dope sick, it's all about to come out. Uh, the restless legs were probably the worst though out of all of it. And so I'm not, I was, yeah, I was like, I'm not going to watch this guy get well and without me, you know? And so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Um, and when I first started, I was like very diligent, like, nope, I need a clean needle. Like I, you know, if I'm going to be doing this, nobody can find out about it. Um, so I, I was still kind of, I thought I was keeping up appearances, but like once you, I, I felt like my life was a, a little bit more manageable on pills. You know, I was able to kind of work a job and make money and, and my friends would snort the pills with me. But once you're on heroin, the obsession I feel like is so much more powerful. I, I didn't see any of my other friends after that. They didn't do heroin. Why the fuck would I be around them? You know, I was I was out going from Walmart and Target and stealing a bunch of shit so I could trade it for drugs. Like, you know, I really, really, once I had crossed that line of shooting up, you know, I, it was like, you know, like I said before, um, if I ever started shooting up, um, I'd kill myself. Well, I hadn't even been shooting up four months. Um, I was living in someone's camper in their backyard and, uh, 
Um, of course, it was some creepy old dude who just the first time I ever met him, I stole him a sander from Home Depot. He gave me a bunch of meth. Well, see, now I was doing meth. I forgot to mention that. Um, you know, I, I would do it. I really love the opiate and the amphetamine to tie together. Like, that was my shit. And then it eventually ended up, I couldn't even do one without the other. I didn't want to do heroin if I didn't have meth, you know? Um, so, but I was living in this guy's backyard in a camper and I started feeling really, started getting really sick. Every time I came down, I was really like, like sicker than normal. I couldn't really walk. I was cold all the time. Um, I was coughing up these, uh, just pus like you know um and I am like turning gray you know and people around me know that there's something wrong and I think what really did it for me is that I I couldn't hit a vein and um which I'd never really I mean I'd have I'd struggled before but um so which means like I couldn't really get high you know I would smoke it but I'm like oh it's not really doing shit for me and this was at a really low point in my life this guy that was letting me stay there um um I had done this like once before where I had a drug dealer that really pressured me into sleeping with him um and at first it was no 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 and then he got me really high and then I did and I honestly don't even remember that time well this guy I decided you know okay you know he'll buy me some heroin he'll hold on to my heroin and I'll do it you know um which is one thing I said I would never do never in my life thought I would do that you know but I I would do anything to get high especially if I was sick well you know this creep my mom somehow by some freaking miracle finds out where I'm staying she was literally driving down alleyways yelling my name um because I wasn't responding because my phone died and I did not even have the energy to get up to plug my phone in well she comes and gets me Gatorade and shit and is really trying to get me to go to the hospital and um you know I'm like no I can't unless I get high first but this creep who's holding my dope because my mom's there, he acts like he doesn't have it, you know? And, um, so finally, uh, I agreed to go to the hospital. Um, and I got there and after that, everything was just a blur. You know, I was really honest with them because I was terrified. I was dying of AIDS, honestly. Um, I was really scared. And, uh, and, um, my white blood cell count was that of a terminally ill cancer patient. If I had waited 24 hours, I would have been dead. I mean, my body was starting to shut down. But every time I got high, I didn't notice how sick I was, um, which is why it was gone on for as long as it did. Um, they had seen one other person come through as sick as I was around my age, and that person had died. So, um, I, I mean, that was a whole traumatic experience, not just because of what happened to me, but because once they found out I was an addict, they treated me like a piece of shit. I mean, I remember the first time a nurse showed me kindness and, um, I wanted to cry because I mean, I couldn't even drink water. I was having to use those sponges and, you know, finally, uh, 
first, let me tell you, detoxing and going through all that. I mean, I was hallucinating. I was seeing blood or bugs on the walls. I couldn't, I couldn't barely talk. I couldn't write. I would, because like my voice was so fucked up, um, from, you know, my lungs, um, the scar tissue on my lungs, I would try to write, but I was so fucked up that I, I couldn't, um, I could barely, you know, use my hands very well. Um, and I just kept telling them how I was in pain and how I was in pain. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You might really be in pain, but because you're an addict, of course you ought to be lying and you just, you deserve to be in pain, you know? Um, and, and I just, there was just like no compassion really. And I remember thinking like when they gave me some water, I remember like trying to hide it from the doctors because I thought when they were being kind to me that they were doing it secretly because everyone else was being so right. horrible. When I would press my button for them to come help me because I had to go to the bathroom. And of course I have diarrhea because I'm still dope sick. Even after these these opiates are giving me every single time it would take them about 10, 15 minutes to get to me. And I would shit myself every single time. And it's just so like dehumanizing um, and, and just horrible the way they treated me and probably other addicts. Uh, so I remember getting, getting out of ICU and um, getting put down to the heart unit, I believe. And, I was just in such a dark place. Like, what do I do now? You know, I always had, I had these horrible fevers. I was really sick. I had fluid in my lungs. Um, so that was horrible, <laughs> very painful. Um, and they, I had just up my pain meds, which is crazy because from the time I was in ICU, my family had to keep bugging them to up my meds. So I was on more, me more pain meds like two weeks after my heart surgery than I was when I got my heart surgery because we had to go to the patient advocate to tell them, Hey, um, she's in pain, you know? And, um, uh, yeah. And my mom asked them, she asked this nurse practitioner, is this because she's an addict? And the nurse said, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's cause she's an addict. Um, and you know, of course they don't want to keep, fueling your addiction but they need to understand that they're still in pain that we're still in pain and that we're people you they're know demonizing you sorry they're they're demonizing you for being addicted to the drug the same drug they'd happily give you if you weren't addicted to it yet yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh, this is so funny because a couple months ago you guys were giving me 50 milligrams of fentanyl every single hour in my IV and my Xanax on top of that. But now I, I am severely undertreated and that the patient advocate actually apologized to me um, and said, this never should have happened. And I said, and so I explained to her, you know, I have a tolerance and I have a lower tolerance to pain. And so literally me, if I'm going through withdrawals after open heart surgery, there's no way I am on a dose even able to touch my pain. Like I really do hope that they are, that they are showing more compassion and doing better now because it is the most alone shitty feeling in the world. And if I did not have my family, some people don't, some people don't have family and they're treated like shit, but you know what, how they got back at me for going to the patient advocate the last like five days I was there, 
they decided to do a real quick taper off everything and um, not not give me any kind of like opiate blockers or I even like really asked them, can you please put me on Suboxone, please, before I leave, because I'm scared, you know? I didn't think, I, I knew I couldn't stay sober. I don't care if they told me, if you ever use drugs again, you will die. That was not enough for me. I did not care about my own life at that point. I didn't have a rock bottom. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, they'll have this big event or they're all, they're, they'll OD and, you know, and that's enough for them. It wasn't for me. But of course, I was telling my family, of course, I'll never use again. Do you really think I'm that stupid, you know, to get them off my back? Um, so I remember the day they told me that they would be taking me off all my meds was the day that I, you know, I had a pick line. Do you know what that is? Pick line? Yes. Uh, I don't think so. So it's a line they put in through your arm that goes all the way through like an artery or something. And it goes to two inches above your heart. It goes to two inches above your heart. Um, And that's how they were giving me my antibiotic, my vancomycin, um, um, which is a very, very strong uh, antibiotic. So I was taking my pain meds and um, that day is when I started and crushing them up, I would take one of those flushers I would take it out of the garbage um and you know how they flush your IV um and I would use that to put the um pain pills into my pick line which is like it's straight to your heart um so talk about being a fucking addict um I I was doing that before I left and um when I did leave, which they did not put me on Suboxone, they were like, you, we don't have a doctor here who can do that. So obviously you, you go into the hospital and and detox from the drug. Yeah. But you said it. It's about being an addict. It's it's the drugs themselves aren't the problem. Uh, addiction is the problem. Yeah. When I got out of the hospital that same day, I shot up like almost all of my pain pills, went straight to the pharmacy, got some syringes shot up a lot of my pain pills. And then a couple of days later on Thanksgiving, I relapsed on meth and heroin. I saw my old dealer. He was the guy that really pressured me into sleeping with him. And, you know, I didn't have to do much for him to give me a gram at that point. So it was just like right away I, I realized. And you know what? I had even gone to my doctor and asked him to put me on Suboxone because I knew I couldn't stay clean. And he was the one that was prescribing the Xanax and the Adderall. And so I think he kind of, you know, was not very happy with me. And he was a huge dick. I mean, I left there crying because he was like, I, I can't, no, I can't give you Suboxone. Maybe if you were going through withdrawals right now, I would. But you do not have to be going through withdrawals um, to be put on Suboxone. It can be just as effective as, like a, as um, you know, uh, management and helping with cravings. This is what I heard from him. So I need to go back out, put my life in danger and relapse, come back here sick for you to take me seriously and put me on Suboxone. You know, I was just, I was really failed in terms of that. And, and so I went off the deep end really, really quickly. Um, and it wasn't long before I completely cut off my family again. And they had no idea, like, if I was alive or dead. I mean, I got MRSA again really quickly after that. It had spread all over my face. Um, I ended up having to go to the ER. Um, 
and get put on some, um, you know, pretty strong antibiotics. You know, uh, it really affected my body really badly. Like I was, again, coughing up this green stuff and uh, having this horrible heartburn, like this unbearable heartburn that would only go away if I did a shot of heroin. And I was shooting up just as much meth as I was heroin at this point, which is very, very bad for your heart. So I told my mom, because I was just so tired and sick, I was like, okay, if you do everything for me, I will go to treatment. So she got me into treatment in Utah. There was a co-ed treatment. Um, I used right up until the front door. At this point, I was like 108 pounds, like, you know, and they did a quick taper for me off on Suboxone, which I think helped because I was so dope sick when I got there, um, or, or not when I got there, but the next day. And uh, the downfall of that place for me was um, they didn't really search your stuff that well. So somebody had came in with a bunch of Subutex, and Subutex is like Suboxone, except it doesn't have the opiate blocker, so it's pretty much like methadone. Um, I, I've been just as fucked up on methadone as I've been on heroin. Um, so, well, anyways, me and the, another client ended up snorting the Subutex, and that was like two weeks I'd been there, and I was actually feeling kind of hopeful, you know? It was beautiful up there. We had horses. We got to order our own groceries. We went to the movies every week. I mean, it was awesome. Um, and But after that, you know, getting high, um, probably only started a milligram, to be honest. Um, I The obsession and the compulsion was right back. Like, I was searching through all my shit to see if I had any crumb of, like, dope, you know, anywhere. You know, she also had like an anxiety med she snuck in. Anytime anyone came in and was getting the Suboxone taper, I like was trying to get them to, you know, scrape it out from their tongue and give it to me. I mean, I was a fiending. Um, so I ended up after about a month and a half being kicked out of that place because I wasn't really serious about getting clean. So I ended up, you know, after that, homeless on the streets of Denver. And then I came back to Wyoming and I wasn't even in Wyoming for, um, for a week before I got picked up on an old warrant. And because I had paraphernalia, they, Wyoming doesn't have a paraphernalia charge. So they charged me with drugs. Um, cause I got two drug counts, two drug charges. I had a horrible attorney. Um, and, but right when I got there, I was like, I need to get to treatment. Um, you know, I took it upon myself to get my ASI done and everything figure and apply to treatments because I'm like, look, I don't want to be clean, but I don't want to be in jail. And I honestly don't, don't know if I want to be dead. I wasn't sure, you know, um, but yeah, so I ended up getting accepted into treatment and, um, you know, I was in jail for two months until I got to treatment. Now that's not the last time I used, I used the second I got out of jail and then, you know, got to treatment, went home for a funeral, used for five days then, went back to treatment. But It's a whole new lifestyle, so it's new habits and completely new habits take time to build addiction or no addiction. Yes. So I guess what I'm saying is relapse happens in recovery. 
It can be, yeah. It definitely was part of mine. I never thought I would be clean. Like, really. I could not stay sober. My family was tired of me. They were tired of my shit. Um, but I couldn't even stay clean in treatment, man. I stuck into treatment. I, I snuck syringes into treatment. I didn't have drugs, but I'm like, someone might come in with drugs. I was like, not at all wanting to be clean. Um, but I knew that I had to do something different. I knew that I didn't want to go to jail anymore. I didn't want to be dope sick anymore. Like, I didn't want to keep hurting my family. Um, I ended up staying on campus at a um, sober sobriety home, a sober home. And um, I, you know, eventually moved out of there and got my own place. And in about December or November 2018, I almost had a year clean, which I say that, but I'd also smoked weed once in that time and taken someone else's medication. So I really was not, you know, really didn't have a year clean from everything. Um, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't honest about all that. And, you know, secrets keep you sick. So um, from November to December, I relapsed about four times. And I really thought I was done for. Um, I, but every time I relapsed, I went back to my doctor. I was honest with them. I went back to the meetings. I was honest with them. I was honest with my sponsor. And that makes all the difference. And if I hadn't done that, I, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you today. I don't know if I'd be alive today, you know? So I, but December 28th, 2018 was the last time I used. And I made a lot of changes after that, you know? I, I got a different sponsor who is like one of my best friends today. She's amazing. I love her. And um, I started working at, the treatment center in 2020. Um, so yeah, when the pandemic was hitting and it was so surreal for me, like these people that, you know, were my telling me what to do or I'm now working alongside and um, I can really relate to other addicts coming in now. I'm like, I was in your chair, you know, I've been there. I, um, it, it is a very emotionally exhausting job, but it is very rewarding. But the thing that I caution the people who work in treatment environments is that it's other people's recovery and you can't focus, uh, you can't get better by focusing on other people's recovery. I've seen it happen to a lot of people and it almost happened to me. You know, I was like, Oh fuck, I don't want to go to a meeting. I'm, you know, doing this shit all day. And, and, um, I really had to check myself and I, realized that I was putting my mental health on the back burner and I had to get that shit in check because I am here leading people and I cannot be, um, of course I'm allowed to struggle, but I need to be bettering myself if I'm teaching other people that they need to be bettering themselves, you know? So, um, that's you, something I'm still struggling with today. Kind of reminds me of something that a previous caller said, caller one, actually episode one. And when he said it, it might have come across to some as, as though it sounded selfish. But what he said was in recovery, the most important thing had to be recovery, more important than his family and, and everything else. Yeah, because I listened to that episode and I remember I went into like scream like, because um, I think he said something like, you know, I hate to say it, but it was the most important. If I'm not, if I'm not putting my recovery as my number one priority, 
um, I'm not good to anybody else. If I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not good. If I had kids to my kids, to my family, if I am um, not working on myself and I'm not in recovery, I'm in between using and I will lose every other relationship I have. I will lose my job. I will lose everything if recovery is not my number one priority. So, you know, I am, you know, as of three years ago or, you know, four years, whatever, just learning, you know, how to be on my own and how to be responsible. And fuck, I hate college, man. It's so hard. I haven't been in school in so long. And, and so, um, I count myself as lucky, um, because I, I don't know if I'll never use again for today. I'm clean. I'm not using today, but, um, I, I'm glad that I have recovery right now at 26. I can't, I can't say that, you know, I can't, I can't say that I'll never use again. That's you know, like when I was 16, God, I'm never going to drink again. Fuck. I can't even think about that. And that, that made everything so much scarier. I've said, I'm never going to use again so many times. Um, I, I don't know that, but I know that I'm not going to use for today. And that's what I have to tell myself every single day. And then at night I have to thank my higher power that I got another day. But I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity and so many other people to have a platform and talk about these really hard things. Technically, no one asked to be here. We're forced into our environment from the moment we're born. And when that environment is defined by pills, needles, booze, and so on, it becomes improbable not to fall into addiction. Eventually, though, we become responsible for owning our own habits. Growth is an innate part of the human experience, but that begins by breaking the cycle of trauma. Because only by bettering ourselves can we make the world around us a better place. Just remember, one day at a time. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. If you want to anonymously tell your story about addiction, find Addicts in the Dark on Instagram.